Good morning. That's good. That that's the that's the cue for um, uh, those of you who are still back there chatting, including including my wife, um, <laughs> to have a seat. Uh, it's good to be in worship this now, morning. Man, usually it's you back there chatting. Yeah. Oh. Good morning, Dan. Let's go. Well, yeah, I've been known to do that every now and then. Um, I just want to remind you um, to fill out the attendance sheet that there should be one in the chairs where you are um, and uh, that there's also offering envelopes. And uh, both of those can be placed in the offering plates um, as you go. For those at home, um, I invite you to, uh, to just say hello to each other so we know who's worshiping with us. And, of course, uh, I invite you to continue to send your tithes and offering in or drop them by the church so that um, we can continue the ministries of the church. And now I invite all of us to turn our attention to God, uh, to take a deep breath and attempt to set aside all the distractions and all the chaos that exists in the world and may be going on in our lives so that we might um, experience God's presence, so that we might be ready uh, to hear the Spirit and allow the Spirit to continue to work in us, shaping us and forming us so that we might be the people God intended us to be. People who live and love like Jesus and make a lasting positive difference in the lives of other people. And so I invite you to, uh, to join together in worship this morning as we come in expectation and anticipation of Christ's presence among us. Let's all stand and join our voices together and... And when we say join our voices together, that means we actually have to sing and get our voices all working together. <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a Love and your slow to 
my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise be seated. I invite us uh, at this time to, uh, to bow our heads, to be in an attitude of prayer as, um, as I just offer up this, uh, this prayer asking um, for God's forgiveness for the places where we have failed as we just offer up this prayer of confession. And so uh, we'll follow that up with the Lord's Prayer. God of compassion, God who is ever-present and ever-loving, forgive us when we have failed to respond to your call with faith. Forgive us for those times we failed to hear your voice and act in trusting obedience this week. Forgive us for those times when we pray only when it is convenient, when we talk too much and listen too little to you. When we see unrighteousness everywhere but in our own faces and lives. Forgive us when we seek the company of those who please us rather than those who need us or need assistance. Forgive us when we shackle ourselves by our narrow understanding of discipleship, by our clouded sense of purpose and mission. Forgive us when we are frightened of the future, when we pull back from the demands of your calling and the places that you um, call us and lead us to go. Forgive us when we fail to sense your presence in our past, when we fail to acknowledge your grace in the present moment, and when we fail to trust you for our future. Through your spirit, we offer ourselves this day. We come together as your disciples. We seek renewed and renewing faith. Touch us now with your spirit, O Lord. Come. 
Holy Spirit. And now let us join our voices together in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. you won't light up, mountain you won't climb. 
after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. just a moment this morning, Lord, we stop running, we stop letting noise and chaos distract us, and in your pursuit of us, we let you find us here in this moment. Amen. Today we're going to continue looking at the stories from the Old Testament. Um, uh, we're going to, and as we continue to look at them, I, I want to invite us to, uh, as we hear the stories, see what it is that we learn about God, see what we learn about ourselves, and see what we learn about the relationship that we're intended to have with God. Because these stories, as we begin to unpack them in Genesis and Exodus, uh, these are uh, stories of God's interactions with folks long ago, of a particular people in a particular place and at a particular time. And yet, they still speak to us today if we pay attention to uh, what God has to say. Now, uh, I'm going to warn you that uh, um, today I'm going to attempt to cover Genesis 12 through 22. Um, so that's a lot of chapters. I know there's a lot of individual stories in there, but I think as we try to get the uh, perspective of God and the relationship that he had with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then uh, Israel, it's good for us to, to look at the big picture and taking larger pieces of Scripture allow us to do that, I think. Um, and, and then I want to warn us as we hear these stories, so often when we hear some of these stories, uh, we hear them with 22nd century ears. And they bother us because they are things that would appall us in our day and time. But we have to remember that these are ancient stories written a long, long ago in different times and different circumstances. And so while some things may seem really bizarre to us, 
um, they weren't quite as bizarre to the folks who were experiencing them. Uh, last week, uh, we, we've covered the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and, and last week we began to unpack um, chapter 12 of Genesis, where uh, God called to Abraham and said, uh, uh, go, and, and made these promises that he would be a great nation, that he would have many descendants, that he would be given this land, and that he would be blessed, and, and through him all nations would be blessed. And we saw that Abraham goes without asking any questions, gets to this land he has been promised. I don't know what he was expecting, but he gets there. He finds out that it's occupied. And as I suggested last week, if that happened to us, we'd probably turn around and go back or we'd say, God, what's the problem? But we see Abraham stopping and worshiping God. Now, that story makes it seem like, well, you know, Abraham is this perfect person of faith. But as we continue to read the stories of Abraham and his journey of faith, we will see that Abraham uh, sometimes exhibits a faith that is just amazing, and then we see the same person, instead of having faith and courage, showing a lack of both. And in fact, if the, as the story continues here in chapter 12, we see that it gets worse before it gets better for Abraham. Uh, we see that not only is the land occupied, but there is a famine that comes. And so Abraham decides he needs to go down to Egypt where, um, where the famine is not having quite so much of an impact. And so he goes down to Egypt, and in going down to Egypt, Abraham devises this plan with Sarah. He says, now when we get down there, you tell them that you're my sister. Don't let them know that you're my wife. And he probably does this because um, if she is uh, uh, apparently quite attractive and he's afraid that, that Pharaoh and the, and, the lead, and the kings down there uh, will desire his wife and if, uh, if, if they know that he's her husband, he will be an obstacle and they may kill him. But you see, if she is his sister, then he becomes someone to negotiate with. Now, I know, I told you, you've got to look at these stories with ancient eyes, not with 26th century eyes. Um, if I suggested to Deb that we would introduce her as my sister at places, right, you got the picture of what that would look like. Um, I don't know why Sarah goes along with this. Uh, but we, we see this, this man of faith suddenly acting with uh, not so much faith and not very much courage, being worried about what might happen to him. And the story gets a little stranger, I think, because, um, because they do this. It, it works, um, I guess. I mean, Sarah becomes one of the many wives of Pharaoh, and um, Abraham gets cattle and stuff, and... Um, I told you it gets weirder. Um, and, and then on top of that, um, Pharaoh gets cursed. Not Abraham. I mean, Abraham is the one who, who's conniving and devising all this. It's Pharaoh who is, is cursed. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh realizes he's been deceived. And, um, and so he says, what have you done to me? And he gives Sarah back to Abraham and says, get out of here. Um, because of you, uh, my household has been cursed. Is this the same Abraham that when God said go, went? Um, and, and then we get another story of, of Abraham in the land. 
Again, if it's not enough, he and Lot are together. They have lots of flocks and, and, and being worried about conflict and, and whether or not there's enough land as they, as they travel around for both of their flocks to eat off. He decides, they decide that they need to go their separate ways. And so once again, the, the Abraham of faith reappears to us. As he says, instead of, instead of saying, well, I'm going to take the very best land for myself, he allows Lot to choose where he will go. And so Lot looks at the lush valley, and that's where Lot goes. And Abraham seems to be content with that. And very shortly after that, we have another story where uh, a Lot uh, is taken captive because there's wars in the land, and, and he is taken captive. And again, we see the very best of Abraham who decides that he needs to go rescue Lot. And so off he goes, he rescues Lot, he comes back with, with all of this loot from the victory, and he refuses to keep any of it. He gives it to the king of, of Sodom, and he gives it to Melchizedek, and um, he keeps none for himself. Now that's more like the Abraham uh, that we uh, understand. Uh, but, but just think, in the span of time, Abraham has gone to the land, he, he has seen it's occupied, he's experienced famine, he sees there's wars in the land, he must be wondering, did I hear God right? And if we didn't know the story, we, like Abraham, would probably begin to wonder, um, is God going to be faithful to this promise? Will Abraham trust the promise of God? Well, just about that time, uh, God appears to Abraham again. He appears to Abraham and he says, don't be afraid. I will protect you. And he renews the promises to Abraham. Now this time, Abraham's got a few more questions uh, uh, to God. And so um, he, he asked God, he goes, but, but God, um, I have no children how in the world are we going to inhabit this land? How in the world are we going to be a great... I have no children. And the only thing God says to him is he takes him outside. He says, look up at the stars. And he says, you will have descendants as many of the stars. I guess that's intended to say to Abraham, uh, the God who created all these stars can certainly... Uh, create for you, can, can generate for you ancestors. A and, and Abraham looks at the stars, and once again it says, he trusts God. Uh, just in that interaction, uh, once again he affirms his trust in God and in the promise. And God says, you will receive this land. But Abraham still has more questions, and he says, but, but, but now how am I going to be certain or how do you know God that I'm going to possess this land and, and it's at this point that uh, we see this covenant ceremony and a couple of things happen in this passage one is God says um, your ancestors will possess this land but it's going to be four generations down the road now how's that work with us most of the time when God makes a promise to you and says but guess what it's going to be your great-grandchildren that experience it Wait a second, God. Well, what about me? Right? Isn't that often our response? Uh, but, but, but Abraham doesn't ask that question. And, and as he asks this, God does a strange thing. And, and in the ancient world, when a covenant was made, what would happen is, is they would take an animal and they would cut it in half. 
And then the lesser of the two uh, kings, uh, a, a part of the agreement, would walk through the split animals. And that would be an indication that if they didn't live up to the covenant, uh, that they would be split in half like the animals were. Now, here's the strange thing about this story. It should have been Abraham walking through, but in the story, it's a fire pot that goes between these animals. It's God who goes between the animals. And so God is saying to Abraham, if your, if your descendants do not receive this land, it is me who will pay the price. We see images of Christ in this, do we not? Uh, but, but anyway, it, we have this strange covenant thing, uh, uh, ceremony in, in which uh, Abraham once again encounters God. He, he uh, hears the promise once again. He's assured of it. He says he trusts God. And then the very next chapter, what do we hear? Abraham and Sarah still have no children. And so they think, well, you know, it, it's customary when the wife is, is barren in their day and age. It would be customary for the wife to say, uh, here's one of my servants. Let her be a surrogate so that we might have children. And so Abraham and, and Sarah say, well, that's the custom. Let's, let's help God along a little bit. Sounds like a good plan. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, and, and so um, Hagar... A servant of Sarah is offered to Abraham, and sure enough, she conceives, and she has a child called Ishmael. Well, we learn very quickly, things are not better. In fact, the relationship between Sarah and Hagar changes as a result of this. The relationship between Abraham and Sarah changes because of the way they have tried to help God along in the covenant. And in fact, we're told Sarah treats Hagar harshly, and Hagar runs away. But we're told that God goes to Hagar and he says, um, return to the household. Return to the household promises that Ishmael indeed will be blessed. And so she returns. And so in chapter 17, once again, God comes to visit Abraham. It must be apparent after this incident that Abraham needs a little bit more clarity. So God shows up again uh, to visit Abraham uh, when he's 99 years old. And again, he calls Abraham. He says, walk before me. He assures him of the promise. He, he reiterates all the aspects of the promise and says, you will be blessed and all the nations of the world will be blessed. You're going to have many descendants. And he goes through all of this. And, and then um, he, um, he calls upon Abraham uh, to... Um, to use the symbol of circumcision as Abraham and his descendants' commitment that they show they are committed to this covenant with God too, that not only is God committed, but they are committed. And, and then after all of, uh, all of that discussion, God says, oh yeah, and by the way, the descendant, uh, the, the lineage of the covenant will come through a child of Sarah. And Abraham goes, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, she's been barren all of these years. And in fact, we see God, at, uh, we see Abraham at first say, well, what about Ishmael? Ishmael's my, let's just let Ishmael be the child of the covenant, be the lineage of the covenant. And God basically says, good try. No, 
The child will come through Sarah. Apparently, uh, this call that was made way back at Haran was not just a call for Abraham. It was a call for Abraham and Sarah. And so the child of the covenant will come through Abraham and Sarah. And so, um, again, Abraham and Sarah, they wait. They wait. Now, now I want you to get an idea that from the time they entered the land until Isaac is born is 25 years. This is a 25-year span. They are waiting for some, uh, uh, not just promises from God, but from some signs that God is going to deliver on this promise. And so um, three visitors come to visit Abraham and Sarah uh, just to let them know one more time. No, Sarah will have a child. In fact, they say this time next year, uh, Sarah will give birth. And you know what Sarah and Abraham do? You know, we would think that they, they laugh. They laugh at, at this idea that they will have a child. And so again, we, we see Abraham, this man that's lifted up in the Old Testament as such a wonderful example of faith. We see his, his faith and that of Sarah's waver a little bit as they wonder, can God really do this? And in the midst of this, God does ask them, is anything impossible for this God? And in the midst of that, um, as he's getting ready to leave, after they've been assured of that again, um, God sticks around to have a conversation with Abraham. And again, we get some strange stories as they wait for the birth of Isaac. And we get this negotiation between God and Abraham. And so once again, we're going to see this wonderful faith and courage of Abraham as God tells him, or this emissary of God says to Abraham, um, you know, there's a lot of bad things going on, a lot of injustice going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to go and check it out, and I'm going to wipe it out. And Abraham says, will you wipe out the innocent with the guilty? And he begins this negotiation. I can't remember. He starts with like, if there's 100 people, will you do it? Anyway, he keeps negotiating with God. And he says, well, God, what if, if, there's, if there's 10 innocent people, will you spare the city? And again in this, we see Abraham. We see him showing this concern, not just for himself, but for all of the world, uh, for other folks. And, and he negotiates uh, uh, to get God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but we hear later in the story that uh, these angels go to, these emissaries of God go to Sodom, and they apparently don't even find ten innocent people um, and yet they they get lot and his wife they take them away uh, they rescue them again and so we see lot being rescued again i think because uh, of abraham's intercession and, and sodom is destroyed and then we have one more odd scene it's almost like um we we have all these wonderful stories of abraham and then we get another story where abraham and sarah go to Jerah. And they encounter King Abimelech. And guess what happens? Sarah, tell them you're my sister. It's like, really? Again? And, and she does. And the same thing gets repeated. He gets lots of gifts. Sarah becomes one of the king's wives. 
And in a dream, God comes to Abimelech and he says, you're as good as dead because you've taken a married woman. And Abimelech goes, what are you talking about? And he learns that Abraham has deceived him and he says to God, why are you punishing me? And he says to Abimelech, return Sarah and have Abraham pray over you and the curse will be lifted. And that's what happens. It's it's a powerful image of how when Abraham is unfaithful or he lacks faith and courage, not only does it it put at risk the covenant, not only does it put at risk um, Sarah, but apparently it brings curse and trouble to other people. And when Abraham prays and blesses, blesses them, they, the, the curse is lifted. And we see in some ways how it is that others will be blessed through Abraham. But here we've come full circle again and we wonder, will Abraham really trust the promise? Will God deliver on the promise? And then we come to chapter 22, which I'm going to go ahead and read. We come to chapter 22, and um, it is a, a, a chapter of Scripture uh, that we all struggle with, but I want you to hear it in its entirety. Hear these words from Genesis chapter 22. After these events, after all of these events that we've recovered, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, I'm here. And God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him up as an entirely burned offering there on one of the mountains I will show you. Now, I don't know what to do with that. God doesn't give us those directions this day, but a sacrifice of children was not unusual in that century. Uh, But we would anticipate something different than what we hear that comes next. Abraham got up early in the morning, harnessed his donkey, took uh, took two of his young men with him, and together with his son Isaac, He split the wood for the entirely burned offering, set out, and went to the place God had described to him. No questions asked. On the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place at a distance. And Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will walk up there and worship and then come back to you. So often in this story, we get so caught up in, God's, um, in, in God calling the sacrifice and in Abraham responding without any questions, and we miss some of uh, these very uh, few points here. Abraham says, we will come back to you. It seems apparent uh, that Abraham seems to be confident that God has other plans that he has yet to reveal, but he must have some degree of confidence. And we learn that more as the story goes on. Abraham took the wood from the entirely burnt. He laid it on the back of Isaac. He took the fire and the knife in his hand, and the two of them walked on together. And Isaac said, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, I am here, son. Isaac said, 
here is the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the entirely burnt offering? And Abraham said, the lamb for the entirely burnt offering? God will take care of it. The two of them walked on together. They arrived at the place God had described to him. Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He tied up his son Isaac and laid him um, on the altar top of the wood. And then Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to kill his son. And then the Lord's messenger called out, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, I'm here. And the messenger said, don't stretch out your hand against the young man. Don't do anything to harm him. I know that you revere God and didn't hold back your son, your only son. And so Abraham looked up, saw a single ram caught, its horns caught in the dense underbush. And Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a sacrifice. And the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven a second time. I give you my words, the Lord, that because you did this and didn't hold back, I will bless you richly. I will give you countless descendants, as many as the stars in the skies, as the grains of sand on the seashore. They will conquer their enemies. All nations of the earth will be blessed because of your descendants, because you obeyed me. And after that, Abraham returned to the young man. We struggle with many parts of that story. And yet the important thing that Scripture wants us to hear in this story is this man, Abraham, who at times has showed great faith, who at times has showed a lack of faith and a lack of courage, that every time that God speaks to him and he hears God's direct call, he responds with faith and trust. It seems to me that, that Abraham knows somewhere in the back of his head that even though God has told him to take Isaac and to sacrifice Isaac, that, that Abraham knows uh, that God has promised that Isaac is going to be uh, the son, the lineage of the covenant. And so in some way or fashion, he knows that God must have other plans and he trusts God wholeheartedly. To the very point where God says, stop, stop. He trusts that God will provide. Now, as we hear these stories of Abraham today, uh, may they challenge us in our faith today, in our journey of faith. May we be assured that we do not have to uh, be perfect in our faithfulness all the time, that, that there will be times when we fail and when we falter. And yet in those times when we have a certainty of what God has called us to do, e either because of the Spirit or because of what we've read in Scripture, when we have a certainty of what God has called us to do, will we trust God's promises? See, these stories indicate that God is faithful to the promises that he has made. And as we look at these stories, we see that we as humans, even though we are flawed, that we can trust the promises of God. We can trust that, that God will be faithful, that God will be with us, that God will continue to walk with us.
And so as we hear these stories today, may we begin to ask ourselves, where are we in our journey of faith? Are we trusting God wholeheartedly? Are we willing to put not just our words, but are we willing to put our faith into action to do as God calls us to do? I invite the choir to come forward. As we reflect and we hear them sing the anthem this day, I choose love. Let us contemplate where we are in our faith journey and and what changes we may need to make so that we can trust God wholeheartedly.
Let us hear the story and the message this day. Who is God? He's the God who can be trusted to keep his promises. Who are we? We are a people capable of trusting God, but also flawed in always being faithful. And what about the interaction between God and us? God is a God who, despite our flaws, keeps coming to us if we pay attention, clarifying his calling, leading and guiding us so that we might trust him more and more, and we might learn to trust him with the faith of Abraham. Let us go forth this day with a wholehearted trust in God that we might be a people who live and love like Jesus and make a lasting positive difference in the lives of other people. Go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.